Go ahead and have a seat. As you do, the kids can be dismissed for their time. That one's mine right there. I love her with everything in me. Let's pray for them before they are taught the word. Father, as we gather and ask you to move in here, we don't any less ask for you to move back there. But we recognize fully that, that Jesus was about children, that he cared about children. He says, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so as rambunctious and crazy as they can be, joyful and loving as they can be, we ask that even now you would soften their hearts to hear the truth of the gospel. For those that will care for them, pray over them, teach them this morning, would you empower them by your Holy Spirit? God, you're good and faithful. and We just exalt your name. Um, and we surrender to you in, in Christ's name, amen. Um, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Mark 10... You can. Um, I'll get there in a moment. Um, Since I was the littlest of kids, I've always loved this time of year. There's even this excitement and joy, even about coming here on Christmas and seeing these decorations and just the... The, the joy of the season. Now, I know that the season isn't all joyful and there's trials and there's hardship with family and just the challenges of life, they don't cease in the Advent season, right? But at the same time, um, it's, it's a joyful season. Um, and even as a kid, I remember so much surrounding this, like, this chilled little baby named Jesus who was in a manger, um, and what we're doing here as we gather is, is we're really taking a, a backwards approach from the cross to the manger as we reverse Advent this year. And what we're trying to open our eyes to see is this reality that, that Christ came to reverse everything. That the kingdom of God is inside out and completely backwards from everything we know naturally. And so this morning we're going to dive into this idea as, as Jeff told us a little bit earlier, this idea of Jesus as a servant. Um, And I want to show you this in in Isaiah 53. We're familiar with Isaiah 53. We look at Isaiah 53 almost every Easter, right? It talks about the brutal death of Jesus. And it says this, Isaiah 53, you can check it out on the screen, verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush, crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Now, this morning as we focus on Jesus as a servant, we love being served, right? I mean, 
like, it's why we, we, we sit in the nosebleed section at Bush Stadium and we gawk at the green seats, right? Just, I can't imagine sitting in the green seats and just at our beck and call, like, I need another nacho, like, more jalapenos, like, I need another drink. Like, we love being served. We go to VIP lounges for movies, which I have never been to one. And I can't even fathom, like, people standing up and getting in your way. And I'm like, you can't see the movie, and, but they're bringing you, like, a steak and all this different stuff. <laughs> do they do that? They bring steak? Okay. I don't see. You can tell I've never been. Um, but, like, we love being served. We love it. And when, oh, when we're not served well, what do we do? I remember as a kid, I think I've got to be careful this morning because this isn't in my notes, and I'm kind of feeling that like, so just stare at me weird if I'm kind of, whatever. Um, so I remember, I remember as a kid, um, we were at Steak and Shake, and we had awful service. And so my parents didn't, like, they're like, you don't want to not tip right? Because then they think you just forgot. And uh, my parents left a penny on the table to communicate, you know, like, no lie. So we're walking out the door, the server came running out the door and threw it at us. Okay? So not only do we love service, but when we're not served well, like, we love to let people know about it, and then they'll respond however they'll respond. Um, If you know much about power and leadership, what we know is that when you have power, you have servants, right? Okay, so so Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, has some 150 servants at his beck and call. But when um, Prince William and his wife Kate got married, one of the things that they said was, we're going to, we want to have a normal life, (laughs) okay? We, we want to have a normal life, so we're, we don't want a bunch of servants, like, and, and no life for the longest time, and like, good for them. Like, she went, she did her own grocery shopping, like, tried to cook for the family. Uh, it didn't last all that long um, before they hired a servant, and recently in the news, it said that since they've had their baby, they've had to hire a, a servant or a couple to help assist with everything, okay? Um, the first lady, Michelle Obama, has 22 servants her staff that assist her every single day. Okay, when you have power, you bring people around you that will serve you. Okay, now let's talk about Jesus. Okay, the epitome of power, the epitome of authority, the one who from the heavens created the world by the breath of his mouth. Yet the gospel of Mark depicts Jesus as the suffering servant. He's the epitome of the leadership model that you don't ask those that are under your leadership to do anything that you're not willing to do. And that's what, that's what Jesus did. And, and in Mark chapter 10, um, kind of the context of Mark chapter 10 is there's this dispute among the disciples about, about power. And James and John, um, they go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, listen, Jesus, we know you have quite a lot of power. All right, so will, will you make a deal with us? And Jesus, that's kind of where I get my biblical view of, like, you don't say yes until you know. Like, hey, we, I'm going to ask you something. Will you promise to say yes? Yeah? Like, no, I'm not promising anything until I know what I'm promising. So they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, like, you have a ton of power. How, how about you let us sit at your right and your left in the kingdom of heaven? 
in the midst of the conversation, the rest of the disciples walk in the room. They overhear the conversation, and it all, like, it all, like, just yelling, like, they're, what are you talking about? Like, just this unfair, like, it just goes bad, right? They're furious. What about us? Now, Mark 10, pick it up at verse 42. Jesus called them to him. So he's like, all right, guys, settle down. Come here. Calls, calls them to him. And he says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, so like, this is how the world operates, right? He's like, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, what do they do? They take their power and they lord it, they lord it over them. They, they flaunt their power. They use it to exploit weakness. They use it to better their situation, their context. But, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. Jesus is like, you guys are arguing over power. The most powerful being in the universe says this. Yet it shall not be so among you. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, everything operates differently. There's a humility with which we live and we walk. And Jesus was a different kind of king than any king that came to this planet. Any king. Keep going. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leaders that serve are the most impactful, powerful, game-changing leaders there are. Okay, I think it's the reason why Nelson Mandela was such an impactful leader. Because as I've watched some of the, the news depictions of his life, I'm not a huge history guy. I don't remember a ton about the past. Um, and so when he died, I didn't re- there wasn't all this stuff that went in my head about who he was and what he did. But as I've watched a lot of the historical events about his life, that was the reality. Is he lived in a way that served his country. I was imprisoned for it for some 21 years. Jesus came as a ransom, a payment for freedom. Okay, that, that's what we're talking about in, in the reversing advent reality of Jesus as a servant. He came to change the reality that we don't, you know, it's even the thought of like when you come in these doors, are you thinking about like, so-and-so better greet me, you know, I hope the coffee's ready, like, I hope there's not, like, I hope there's chocolate chip bagels and not, like, you know, the everything bagel, which is ridiculous. Anyway, my wife particularly likes that one. Love you, babe. Um, <laughs> um, and so, but we live in a way that's like, hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to give of myself, not get. Okay, flip back to Mark 9. Turn back a couple pages to Mark 9. Let's continue getting our mind around this reality. We're just going to kind of survey several passages where Jesus is seen as a servant. Mark 9, 
So the context of, of this passage is um, Jesus is traveling. He's doing ministry with the disciples. And they just left a house um, where they cast a demon out of a boy. Um, and so they continue on. Um, and in verse 30, it says this, And they went on from there and passing through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Okay, so Jesus knew all along his purpose in coming to earth, even as a child, was that one day he would endure the cross. Was that one day he would be crucified. Like he knew that was what was coming. But no one else got that. Look at 32. And they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. These are the closest guys to Jesus. Didn't get the reality that the kingdom was backwards and inside out. They didn't get it. And they came to Capernaum, 33. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Okay, so this is kind of humorous here. So they're... they're they're in the house, and Jesus had overheard them talking. I mean, we're in good company, okay? The disciples were, were, were about to see they're just like morons, right? How great that God calls morons to himself. <laughs> because that's what we are in reality. Nothing apart from Christ. But he overheard them talking. He's like, what, what, were, you guys, what were you guys disputing about? Oh, nothing, nothing, Jesus. They, they, they wouldn't tell him. They kept silent, for on the way they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Now here's the irony. They just left a house where there was a boy who for years was demon-possessed. Jesus had sent them out to cast that demon out. And you know what the end result was? They couldn't do it. They called Jesus. Jesus, this is a tough one. Not like the boy, like down on, you know, Donkey Lane or whatever. Like, this is a, this is, like, we, we can't get this, <laughs> we can't get this demon out. So Jesus had to do it. So this one comes out through much prayer. Jesus had to do it. Okay? Like that, they're disputing about power. They're arguing about like, you know, hey, here's the miracle I performed. Well, how many have you done? How many demons have you cast out? How many people have you healed? Like they're disputing about this. Even in the reality that like they're incredibly weak. Now, we do the same thing all the time. Now, we don't look at each other in the eye and dispute power and talk about how oh, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I've done this. I've done this. But what do we do? We do it in our head. We do it through our tweets and Facebook statuses, but it's kind of passive, right? And this isn't across the board, okay? But I think at times we have a tendency to, here's what I did. Here's what I experienced. And there's a danger there because what we can be doing is trying to one-up other people, trying to create like, here's the experiences that I've been through, and they're just greater than the experiences that you've been through. Hey, have you heard about what I did here? Hey, have you heard? Like, we're creating this, this culture of the same thing the disciples were doing. The same exact thing, but it's masked. 
It's masked simply through just telling a lot about us and how great we are. That's the DNA in our head and in our heart with impure motives and impure actions. And the reality is that Jesus says to them, he comes to them in verse 35, and he sat down and he called the 12. Okay, this, is, this is beautiful. What does he do? What do you do when you have power and those in your authority aren't doing what you're, they're supposed to be? You sit them down, you get over the top of them, and you start, here's the way it is, here's what you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, that, isn't that like kind of the depiction we know? It's, I mean, parents, like, come on, don't tell me I'm the only one that like, hey, I, you're the kid, I'm the adult, like, you don't talk to me that way. Like, we dominate. Okay, Jesus sits down with his disciples to depict humility, and he gathers them around. And let's look at what he says. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Am I crazy? Like to be great, you have to serve. It's contrary to everything we know. It's backwards and inside out the reality of Jesus coming to this earth to reverse. That in the kingdom of God, we're called into the life and death of Jesus. We're called into the servanthood reality of the Son of God who laid down his life, not just on the cross, but every single day on earth. Let me, let me just ask you this. Do you live your life to, to, to cater to you? Do you position people around you? And the truth is that all of us in some way do. And so what I'm asking is for you to ask the Holy Spirit to probe your heart and show us where do we you know, teach our kids to do things that just make it easier for us as opposed to what they really need to know? Or where do we gather people around us that won't just speak great things to us and build ourselves up, but will really speak truth to us and teach the gospel to our hearts and show us our own fault, faults? Because we're all, we have a propensity for that. Because all along, The Jews knew that a Messiah was coming. In their mind, it was this Messiah that would come and bring salvation from physical oppression in the Roman world. But in reality, it was a a king that would come in humility and bring salvation from spiritual oppression of having dead hearts that needed to be awakened and made alive by the breath-giving and life-giving power of the Son of God through His Holy Spirit. You might be familiar with a prophetic passage in Zechariah, verse 9. We hear this passage a lot around Passion Week. Um, It's the prophetic passage that's fulfilled in the triumphal entry where Jesus enters to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. In Zechariah 9, 9, listen to how Jesus is described as he is coming. Listen to this king, okay? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. So it's like, get ready, get the party going. Here comes the king. Put on your best, be ready. He's making an entrance. Righteous and having salvation is he. It's like, this is the one that we've been waiting for. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What? Okay, standard military mount is a stallion. It's the best of the best horses you can find. And a king rides in on that. Not a donkey. But but look, here's here's Jesus. Because in in Jesus, everything's backwards. Everything's reversed from what's natural, from what we know. This power and authority is backwards and inside out because Jesus as a king lived a different status and a different life than the normal king. Because look at what he did. I will cut off, verse 10, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. What, what establishes authority in an army, in a nation? Like the power you have, how many chariots you have. How many horses you have? How many horsemen you have? What kind of, you know, weapons you got? So that's why we're scared of nations that have a lot of chemical weapons. There's a lot of power. Jesus came. And he said, it's not about that. I don't don't care about that. In fact, I'm going to cut that off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule, his rule shall be from sea to sea, from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Okay, this is, this is our king. This is what he invites us into in this season of Advent. That we would lay aside this, it's about me. I, I love this. My wife had this idea um, yesterday. Um, so she's like, I'm going to give the kids a present early. And I'm like, no, it's crazy. You wait till Christmas to open your presents. And we're several weeks out. I'm like, and we, you know, we have different views on this. And, but what she did was just brilliant. She's like, here's what I want to do. I want to I give the kids a present. And I want to make a, I, w- I want them to experience like how excited they were. Like, so she tells them, I'm going to give you a present. And I want to talk about your experience. And so they, she gave them a present. And then they like, they loved it. It was an awesome time. And they just celebrated like, this is great. Okay, and then. She's like, okay, here's the deal. How, how awesome was that for you? Like, did you really enjoy that? Okay, now, you know there's people all across the world that will never experience that. The excitement and the joy. Now, let's talk about who can we duplicate that experience for this Christmas. So they talked, and they came up with this elderly guy that lives at the veteran's home that had been a part of Danielle's family for several years, but he doesn't have a family. And Mikhail's like, let's get Jerry something for Christmas. Like, listen, like, Jerry's an old dude in a, in a veteran's home. He doesn't have much of a life. He doesn't have a family other than who Danielle's family's been for them. And my little girl's like, let's, let's get something for him. I want him to experience that. Like, I'm just like, absolutely, let's give our kids presents early every year. That's just brilliant. Okay. In the kingdom of God, everything is backwards and inside out. John chapter 13. It says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now this is a passage we, we've heard all the time. We've heard taught on um, leadership and servanthood. And here's what it looks like to serve. And Jesus served. But one of the things that's incredibly important to know here is the cultural reality of, of why Jesus was doing what he was doing. Okay, yes, he was modeling it, okay, and, and I could have brought some people up, and we could have, you know, done the awkward, like, foot washing, like I used to teach North County Christian School, and every year I did this with my leadership class, juniors in high school, I made them get in a circle, and I made them wash each other's feet, and they hated it, and it was awesome, okay, um, they hated it, I mean, we, we could have brought somebody up and had them wash their feet, but, but in reality, like, the culture today of foot washing is unbelievably different than the culture of that day, right? Because here's, here's typically what would happen. Like, most people wouldn't even have shoes on, okay? They're walking the same roads that all of the animals are walking as well, the, 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 the vehicles of animals, the transportation of animals, like, and they're, what are they doing? They're going to the bathroom all over the road, and so people are walking those roads, and that excrement is getting on their feet and squishing between their toes, and it's gross, Okay? It's awful. If I were to bring you up, I don't care how long your socks have been on your feet, it's not going to compare with the reality of what Jesus was doing here to model. Because what would have been better is if we get several toilets out here and we clean them. But not your toilet at your house. Okay? A toilet in some random guy's bathroom. Let's go there. Okay? Okay. So listen. Jesus is modeling a kind of servanthood that isn't any fun. On some levels, is awful. And there's no joy in your heart to be pursuing that apart from just self-sacrifice. And those that had power, this is why when, in, in a lot of cultures, when you go to a home, you remove your shoes. And those that had power, they had servants that were responsible for removing shoes, for responsible for washing the feet of those guests before they came into the home. And those jobs were the lowliest of jobs. That's why John the Baptist said that about Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, that I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of, of Jesus. And he goes on in verse 12. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? He knew they didn't. He knew they didn't really fully get it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. What does a teacher and a Lord do? They demand things of those that are under them, typically. And not always in a, like a, a mean way, but like that's what those in authority do. Like, I don't clean toilets. Like, I'm the boss. Like, you clean toilets. And Jesus is like, no. Like, you call me teacher and Lord, and and you're right. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Who's modeling that? modeling humility to the disciples and said, this is what you're invited into. This is what you're called to be a part of. But here's where I think we have to be really careful because we can serve 
to a level of enjoyment, right? But what about service that is sacrificial? Okay, so you can set your bank account to automatically pump like a dollar a month to some organization or some like place across the world, and that dollar is going to be beneficial and helpful for whatever it's going. But here's the question. How, how sacrificial is that for you? But this is what Jesus modeled. Okay, so, so how, how do we reconcile like, because like a, a lot of us, like we, we love to surf, Right? Like, we love to serve one another. So if you enjoy serving, is that really not sacrificial? Romans 5.8. This is love. That God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so Jesus depicting his love included a level of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he begged his father, I don't want to do this because it cost him so much. So you can love what you do. And man, I I believe that God will stir affection and joy in our hearts when we willingly give of ourselves for his kingdom and his name, and we should. Even what's sacrificial Even what costs you something, you do because you love the people that you're doing it for. More so, you love your heavenly Father. But there should be some type of tension that gets you to the place where you're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do the dishes. Let me ask you this, guys. When's the last time you cleaned the toilet? For your wife. Those that are married. I'm being serious. It's not her job. Solely. So what does is, what is sacrificial giving look like for you? And here's the reality. Like, I'm, I don't know. That's why it's amazing that God put a spirit in you. That he can say, here's what it looks like. And here's where it's not going well for you. And that's why we're here to talk through that and figure that out and pray that God would intervene in our hearts and show us. Because I'm so good at setting my schedule for the day. You know, and that like, hey, I got to preach on Sunday morning. So like, the kids are all her responsibility. I don't have any responsibility. I'm like, well, you know, or like if I have to work one day, well, what if she has to work? Does she get work and the kids and I just get work and I don't have to help her get the kids ready for school? I'm like, I can, I can set my schedule to make things perfect for me. And not sacrifice my own time and my own stuff to serve my, my wife. Um, in 2003, uh, I had the, the opportunity to help lead a team to India. And uh, one of the beautiful things about going to India is you ride a lot of trains. It's kind of beautiful and like teaches you to pray a lot. And, um, and so we're sitting at a train station and we're on a train. And we're just waiting for the train to go. And we're just kind of, what do you do when you're in another country? Like you just like, you look around, like you watch, you take things in. So we're sitting on this train. And we're watching this guy sweep the trash off the tracks 
He's just sweeping it up. He's picking it up. It's his job. He's just sweeping it up. Okay? And then someone pointed out this fact. So bathrooms um, in a lot of places, but we'll just go with India, are very different than here. Okay, so when you, when you go to the bathroom on a train um, in India, not every train, but um, a lot of them maybe even more rural ones, um, there's two bathrooms, okay? There's a Western bathroom, and there's an Indian bathroom, okay? The Western bathroom actually has a toilet, has a commode, it has, you know, you can sit on it, right? Um, the Indian bathroom has, um, what could I call it, um, has footprints, that show you where to put your feet with little grippy things to keep you from sliding, and then a hole in the bottom of the train. Okay? In the western bathroom, there's a toilet, but underneath that toilet, there's also a hole in the bottom of the train. So what happens? When you're riding on the train and you go to the bathroom, it doesn't go into the septic system that then later on is pumped at the end of the night and goes off to like this, you know, where they take care of all that stuff and properly dispose of it. It goes on the tracks. Every single time. And we're watching this guy. It's his job. He's just sweeping up the trash. Sweeping up the trash. Sweeping up the trash. And then someone just had to ask this question that I've never forgotten since that day. And it was the question, if God called you to that for the rest of your life, to be that guy doing that job, could you joyfully wake up in the morning and do it? Sacrificial service. In the kingdom of God, everything is backwards and inside out. And God has called us to this reality as his people in his kingdom to sacrificially serve in the name of Jesus. That's what Advent's all about. So to what extent do we, do you position your life to get rather than give? Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, you're so powerful and mighty. And I thank you that you aren't this tyrant cop up in heaven that's just demanding things of us. But you've willingly entered into our reality through your incarnation, through your birth, to pour out your life for us. And you've invited us into this truth of sacrificially serving and giving up our lives for your name. But you've modeled it for us. And so God, I pray that you would take all that's gone on this morning, all that your spirit is doing, and you would do what you want to do. And where I've misspoken or whatever, God, you would probe our hearts and lead us to obedience. I've got to pray against the enemy who wants to manipulate and distort and bring guilt and shame. And I pray for the free, loving power of the Spirit of God in our hearts to open our eyes to what we're called to in the kingdom of God and as people of our suffering servant. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example.
Christ's name.